When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Hello and welcome to You Are Going to Be Fantastic. I'm pretty sure this is episode four, but who's counting? My name is Ann Foster. Jenny Ryan is on holiday, so it's, you know, the podcast is still really young. So there's a lot of firsts, and this is my first time going solo on this podcast. So I guess, you know, Jenny and I have been trying to have more banter, but it's hard to banter with oneself. So so I think I'm going to jump right into talking with my guest, who can be maybe sort of like a guest co-host slash interviewee. Um, so welcome, Lorraine. Hello. So Lorraine is here as... Another first. You are our first retiree. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we're going to get into it. Like, we'll just figure out what, what, what that's like. I should mention, and I think you wanted me to mention, that you took early retirement. That's right. Lorraine is in her 50s. It's not over. Exactly. So, and I think that there's something really great about, I would love to take an early retirement to be able to really enjoy myself and do cool stuff, not just retire and be thrown right into an old folks home or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not it's not quite like that for you yet good <laughs> so yet. so Lorraine um the first question that we we tend generally ask people is so if you think back and we'll go wherever the story takes us there's not a set narrative that I'm anticipating <laughs> so if you think back to when you were 17 18 years old like just graduating high school like what what was your plan a big sigh. I, I don't think I had a plan. I knew that I should take all of the sciences in high school if I wanted to go to university. So I university was... did want to go to university. Yeah. Um, and it was a big deal because I was the first one in my family. And as it turned out, I was the only one mm-hmm. in my family to go to university. And it was, it was a long haul. It took me a couple of tries. And then, you know, I finished one degree, and then I went back later and got another degree. What was the first degree? In science something? No. No. I wish, I wish it had been in science. I tried, but I couldn't do the math. Mm. Um, it, I, it was a BA. I studied uh, a lot of anthropology, physical anthropology, really. But in the end, realized that I wasn't likely to... Well, I didn't really want to go out to the desert and dig up skeletons. Um, get your hands too dirty doing that. Mm-hmm. And I had been taking a lot of English classes anyway because I was good at that. So I finished it as an English degree. So what I tell people is it's sort of an English degree with a minor in anthropology, but really physical anthropology, which is less of the uh, mm-hmm. ethnographic aspect of anthropology. It's all bumps on bones. It was human skeleton, human evolution. Sort of like archaeology, but for skeletons? Skeletons, yeah. My final class project was uh, here's a box of bones. How many individuals are in this box? Two and a bit. <laughs> and a bit. Box. <laughs> this, there was an extra kneecap. It's a trick question. The extra patella. Or technical term. two people, one of whom had an extra knee 
Yeah, no. One mutant. <laughs> no. One non-mutant. No, because if you have, if you, I mean, there weren't necessarily two complete okay. human skeletons, but there was an extra bit that you knew that was more than one person. Okay. That's, I don't know, that sounds like, um... Yes, I love forensic television shows. I was just going to say, like, mystery, CSI, novels. mystery novels. like so Not CSI. That one's not scientific enough for me. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. You like the ones, like... Like bones, that I sort of love thing? bones. Yes. Yeah, largely because it's funny. But I, I, Kathy Reichs is a proper scientist and a forensic anthropologist, and really good at her her stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking about you, young Lorraine, just entering. So you're graduating from high school. You took the science classes because you wanted to go to university. So if nothing else, you had a plan to get a university degree. What did that mean to you? for your future it just was what you felt like you should do I came I I come from working class people in Saskatoon and uh, we didn't really know what that meant we just meant that it it was better right any additional training any higher education is better it's always better Mm -hmm. than whatever Um, so I didn't really understand what it meant. And and today I would say going and getting a BA you know it doesn't it doesn't actually produce a career, but it is the best way to start, I would mm-hmm. say. And then you get a sense of what's available to you in the university environment and you continue on and and do something that does turn into a career. Mm-hmm. So at the time you just kind of did university cuz that's just not necessarily like here's my dream I'm pursuing it it's like I'll do university because that symbolizes something better just you knew it was heading you in a direction you wanted to head into yeah yeah now in in retrospect now I also keep thinking about when I was a much younger child my mother worked at the university bookstore and there was the occasional Sunday afternoon she'd get called in to work and I would go with her and I was eight nine Mm -hmm and be sort of left to my own devices in the university bookstore, surrounded by inscrutable things. And I remember staring at a book about Aristotle. I had no idea, mm-hmm. not a clue, and I couldn't understand any of it, but I knew I wanted to. Mm. And even today, I feel I regret not spending more time with Aristotle, yeah, Plato, things like that. So it's sort of a drive to just, I mean, not just to like better yourself but just a drive to learn it sounds like you just yes, wanted to learn absolutely stuff. and so now in my retirement mm-hmm. i i do feel i haven't learned enough mm-hmm. right every day i want to learn something new and that's my new goal mm-hmm. is to learn something every day so that i at the end of the day i can say what did i learn today um but it turns out yeah i really am just interested in knowing more and more things mm-hmm. recently I've purchased quite a lot of books art books and they're all used mm-hmm. <laughs> but um art books and and I, I don't want to say the word craft books but I'm interested in learning how to do things with my hands primarily things that involve tools as it turns out like I would love to be able to make my own bookshelves mm. for instance mm-hmm We'll see. So I'm also afraid of sharp <laughs> things. That would be a challenge when using most tools, but we'll see. We'll see. So, so it's that's very interesting just to think about 
so you kind of, as you said, you didn't have a plan, but what you wanted to do was just like be out there in the world and just learning stuff. So when you finish your degree at that point, when you're, so you said your degree took a bit longer because you switched majors. Well, I took time off. Oh, you took time off during the degree? Yes. What did you do? I worked. Okay. Oh, what did I do? I I worked. I, wow. I, I was a paste up artist. A what? Yeah. So it's... Sorry, P-A-S-T-E-U-P? Yeah. Paste, Paste up. up. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a... Every job has... They have their own language, their own vocabulary. Um, this was at the Star Phoenix in what we call the back shop. Technically, it was called the composing department. So where the paper, the newspaper was laid out. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, in the beginning, in my beginning... Um, and this was in the 70s, the late 70s. It was um, cut and paste by hand. So like literally paste. Literally like putting glue together. glue with a brush. Well, no, it was hot wax. Hot wax? Yes. Oh. Yes. So okay. paper film, um, text type was typed into a primitive computer, came out as paper film, and we had to strip it. I'm using air quotes here, strip it, um, which is to say it was one long column and you cut off the excess paper and you are left with a one long column and then you lay it into the newspaper uh, according to the editor's um, hand-drawn instructions and if it was going to be a three column story you would cut that trip into three equal columns and the editor would come along and say no the space was too small you have to cut something off the bottom of the story and then they would point at the end of the story and cut Anyway, and, and we made it stick with hot wax. Okay, so I'm just picturing 1970s newspaper room making the newspaper. It feels like, would you have to have, like, okay, we can't report on any news that happens after 3 in the afternoon because it takes all the rest of the day into the night to actually make every newspaper? Well, as it turned out, I had that particular career for 13 years, off and on, two different newspapers, and a couple of, like a print shop in between. That was all sort of, I call it all, it's all related. Yeah. But sort of the typesetting industry. Um, and I worked on more, more than a couple of um, front pages, um, budget night, election night. Those stories were up to the minute. That's what I was thinking. But you'd, like... you'd still have to take it to the press and the, the press still took hours to do its job. But yeah. So... Let's see, largely the day would end at midnight. Paper would go to bed at midnight, 11.30. That's when it goes to the presses? Yep. Okay. Yep. And it would come out, be delivered to the doorstep in the morning. Mm-hmm. Today, it's different, as I understand. Um, there's lots of emailing of entire newspapers, and they get printed somewhere else, and I can't even talk about that. Um, I also should point out, I started... At the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, it's about 1978, nine, and it was like a year, two, three years before I started, they were still using lead type and printing out stories one letter at a time. I I, I can't even talk about it because I wasn't there, but yeah. I had I had it described to me where they would put it all together in a wooden frame and lock the frame. And the fellow, one of the people that trained me when I started had 
been trained by someone in the previous sort of era and mm-hmm. he had been taught how to put the lead type in this frame but nobody told him to lock the frame because mm-hmm. this this was your initiation right you pick up oh. the frame and everything falls out and you have to do it all again hilarious right? ha 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 <laughs> and he was a, you know a young teenager yeah. so yes it's a, I, I wasn't treated quite so badly well when as a woman in a newsroom in the 1970s it was a what sort of experience was that like or was it an issue was I a woman in a newspaper in the my father worked at the paper so everyone respected you because and my grandfather was, worked oh, okay before him so you're in a long line of uh, uh, yeah so the people that I was actually working with were his colleagues they were all men his age who would see you as a surrogate daughter sort of person well sure if they saw anyone that way yeah I mean some of these were crotchety yeah guys right and they got more or less crotchety as yeah. time got by, went by. So you said that you mentioned like you worked in this industry for, do you say 12 years, 13 years? 13 altogether. And that was, and in between that you're going to school? or yep. Okay. Yep. So you're and I should to... mention the second newspaper was the Ottawa Sun. Okay. It's where I pasted up Sunshine Girls. What, yes. are, what are Sunshine Girls? Oh, you naive child. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I can in guess. A, in a tabloid newspaper, typically on page three, you open it up and there is a color photograph, usually color, of a young woman, scantily clad, the Sunshine Girl. Yeah. And there are, you know, four Sun newspapers in Canada. There's, I haven't looked at one lately because we live in Saskatoon and there isn't one. So I, I assume they're still doing this. I wonder. I don't know. I know they did introduce the Sunshine Boy eventually, but he was always page 10 or 12 or something. So so you said you pasted up the Sunshine Girl. I laid out Sunshine Girls, yes. Yeah. Pasted them up. And and also at the Ottawa Sun, so this would be the second newspaper. So time had passed later. It was more um, computer Mm. layout. Mm -hmm. But the Sun products were very... uh, how do you say the paste up at the sun was more ornate there's a lot more going on a lot more starbursts and mm. black shadows that when done by hand involved a lot of tearing paper it was pretty cool i have to say it was between that and the deadline and paper goes to bed you're yeah. done yeah and you don't have to get up until noon the next day right it was very satisfying because you felt a huge sense of accomplishment yeah and no, and I can see, and now you still like, like you're someone now who's looking for ways to work with your hands. I like know. clearly that was a job, whether you knew it or not, yep. that was really feeding into this yep. thing that you really enjoy. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah it's, it's a strange realization that that, that that was the most satisfying work. With, you have a knife, like an X-Acto knife in one hand and a line gauge, a metal ruler in, yeah. in the other hand. And these two things combined, it was, yeah. And it was very precise work. And you have um, black border tape and a grid sheet that was, you know, the size of a broadsheet newspaper. And you, you'd have to make ads, line little border tape. I'm using my hands. It's really hard to talk. Yeah. Line, um, create a little two-column ad using the tape. Mm-hmm. Um, lay text in the ad, you know, according to... Yeah, salesperson's layout. Um, when you looked at yeah. the newspaper, were you like, yeah, I did that? No. No? No, it was really hard <laughs> to go back and look at the newspaper. Oh, okay. Even today, I, I don't, I can't look at ads. Yeah. 
I could lay out an ad. Nice. I, I could create a nice ad for you, but I can't look at it. I oh, can't that's do interesting. It. Um, the other thing is you learn, like we would, we would make up the ads in advance of that day's paper and they'd get put on um, flats for the paper. So each page was ready to go and then the day arrives and suddenly the editorial department leaps into action and they start filling what space is left. Okay. That's how it works. Okay. So the paper makes their money by selling ads. They might, the ads might fill three quarters of the page and what's left has to be filled with text, right? Mm -hmm. So if you learn pretty quickly back then, I don't know what happens today. <laughs> um, people would proofread the ads to make sure they were correct because someone paid for that. Only the editorial staff would proofread the text of the news and sometimes there was no time and sometimes they wouldn't, you know, mistakes would happen, right? Mm -hmm. Not not so much, just spelling mistakes, really. Mistakes in what was said, that's a whole other story and I can't, I can't address that. Well, in your position had no responsibility really i mean in terms of these mistakes like you would just lay out what was given to you if there was a mistake that fell on somebody higher up i might point it out if i found it yeah i mean it's not like i was sitting there reading every story well there wouldn't be time yeah i mean sometimes if it was a sports big sports you know whatever playoff or something and, and i was doing <laughs> the front page and yeah i was not reading that story yeah no sorry people so so you worked for the so the Star Phoenix here in Saskatoon, Ottawa. What took you to Ottawa? I was trying to get out of newspapers, actually. <laughs> and uh, I got to Ottawa, and Ottawa is a special town. Um, people need uh, f to speak French to get a government job. 60% of the jobs at the time were government jobs. I, I applied for jobs, but I, I couldn't get in, so... I um, I hadn't even applied to the Ottawa Sun, not officially, like not, I, hadn't, I just sent a resume and I was in town, I had this resume, right? They hadn't been advertising and I got called. And weirdly, I missed the call. Like I didn't, I didn't really figure it out. This guy was calling, he, so he called again. <laughs> and in between those two calls, um, Apparently they had hired someone mm -hmm. who didn't work out. Okay. And that could have been me if I had taken the first call. Yeah. And um, anyway, I did take the second call and this guy had, unbeknownst to me, already contacted my employer at the Star Phoenix and gotten good comments about me. And so he tracked me down. And so I took that job and, and it was, um, evenings and so it allowed me to do other things during right the day. yeah um and that was four years i think i had that job at the mm -hmm. ottawa sun four years but i heard the stories about the guy they had to let go mm -hmm. and how i mean and it was a crazy bunch of people and newspapers are always crazy people but this was a crazy bunch of people in the composing room and they talked about this guy how did it go some like he would make mistakes and then someone have to, would have to come in and fix his mistakes. And they always called, they referred to it as wearing the wedding dress. Okay. And I don't know what the reference, what it meant, but they were getting the bad end of the stick. So it's like, oh. I mean, if I think about it now, I guess I know what they were saying, but 
I can't say it on the radio. <laughs> but but if you were to use it in a sense, you'd be like, oh, I, I had to wear the wedding dress again today. Yes, yes. Oh, Lorraine, you're, you're going to have to wear the wedding dress. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think anyone ever... They didn't use it after that. It was only you... It was reserved for this one fellow, and he was let go, and... Anyway. So you <laughs> unintentionally landed yourself in a 13-year career in newspaper typesetting. Yeah. Yeah. So was there a point at which... So you left that. Like, you could have leaned into that and been like, well, I will be a lifer. Here, I have found my calling. This is it for me. But well, after 13 years, what, what happened? I left the Star Phoenix in at the end of 1990, and Conrad Black laid off a whole bunch of people in 93. So I don't know if I would have survived that or not. Right. I yeah. have no idea. Um... I, I really, yeah, I don't have no idea. I couldn't even look at someone in the same job that I had before I left and say, where were they? Did they keep them or not? Keep, I, I don't know. Um, so you got out because you sort of saw the writing on the wall about the industry or just personally you were no, ready personally to move on? No, personally it was, I had, for whatever reason, I had this idea that I should be able to use my degree, uh, so, which I had finished by that point. Mm-hmm. So English, I was in English Ottawa degree. with an English degree. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to do more um, and so I I did take a biology class at the University of Ottawa but that didn't that didn't really I had to go home and early on and never finish the class mm-hmm. again sciences were yeah you, you, know, you wanted, eluding me you wanted to be into the sciences I really it did just, it just yes. wasn't happening I think I happening. took biology twice yeah all in all um, but I picked up a catalog for uh, the local college in Ottawa, and I ended up doing a library technician diploma in Ottawa. And and it appealed to me because it, I don't know, it seemed sort of technical, and, and of course I loved books. Um, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I had no idea where it would take me. Um, and in the end, it took me back to Saskatoon. <laughs> so you did the technician program in Ottawa yep. still. And then, and right out of, when you finished that, you came back to Saskatoon for work or? I came back to Saskatoon, um, yeah, because I, I was tired of the weather in, in Ottawa, Ontario. Yeah. yeah. I had done Toronto, I had done Ottawa, and I, I couldn't get used to the, the humidity, the damp. I came back to sunny, dry Saskatoon, even though it's, 30 below in the winter mm-hmm. it's my 30 below <laughs> um and i i was unemployed for a little while but i ended up i got a job as a library technician and then i moved from that to another job as a library, library technician um i did uh there was a gap in there and i did do some more typesetting for a small advertising company um but that, that didn't last very long because i got a real job Mm-hmm. Um, as a library technician, um, which was in a, a law firm library. So five years, I was uh, <laughs> a library manager in a, a law firm. So is that like the lawyers are like, I need to get the this case file from this like thing that was that happened? I don't know what a law librarian does. Law library technician manager. Um, well, what, what, for what one is thing, in the they, they wouldn't have hired a, 
a professional librarian, right? Because they have to pay You have to understand more. the distinction between a, yeah, a library technician and a professional librarian. Yeah. They wouldn't have hired a professional librarian. Um, and this was 1997 that I first started working there. Five years later, there were computers on every desk. So in 97, there were not computers. Okay. Yeah. The secretarial staff had sort of dummy terminals that were connected to a Unix server. The library, where I was alone, mm-hmm. um, had three computers, um, actual computers using Windows. Sorry, I have to think back. Because I had come from a Macintosh environment, right? And the newspapers. Newspaper layout was Macintosh graphic design yeah. sort of software, although not as exciting as actual graphic design software. And so I was hired because I, I could load CD-ROMs into these computers that had, that had case law and stuff. But okay. So in the five years I was there, up until 2003, they, math didn't really work, right? It must have been 98 when I started. 2003, by then, you know, the, the internet was being more used for finding case law. Um, there were no more CD-ROMs having to be loaded. And not only did the secretarial staff have to get proper Windows computers, they had to be taught Microsoft, uh, what was it? It was WordPerfect at the time. Yeah. And, and then the lawyers started getting actual desktop computers. And then they figured out that, oh, maybe they wanted laptops. So suddenly the lawyers were all getting laptops. Mm-hmm. And, I was just thinking, we're focusing so much on your career path, but that is not everything that is in anyone's life. So you're going, like, place to place, job to job, but... Which is, I think, normal. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm just thinking about, like, in your, like, in your personal life, like, what, how how are things going, like, you're moving from place to place, like, were you finding groups of friends to be with, or were you finding, like, your hobbies, you know, what did you do when you weren't typesetting, or... Inserting oh CD-ROMs. Goodness, what did I do? I like dancing a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dancing. Um, I had a crazy group of friends at the Star Phoenix, you know, because of the hours. Um, at least one year in there, I worked from like about 11 p.m. until 6 a.m. While I was going to university, I worked part time, about 25 hours. In my final year of university, I was taking five full classes. I had mm-hmm. 18 papers to write, and I worked 25 hours at the newspaper. Overnight? One of those shifts was overnight. Yeah. So other days, not overnight. But, you know, you get a good chunk of hours in if you work overnight. Um, so because of those crazy hours, the people I was mostly hanging out with were either university friends or work friends with the crazy hours. Mm-hmm. And there were some, some wacky people in there where we... It went dancing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what era was this? This was in 70s, 80s? 70s, 80s. So disco was sort of <laughs> prominent for a while. I'm picturing like the a Studio 54 70s. experience, like the Saskatoon version of Studio 54, just like glamorous. I don't even... I, <laughs> it was called Stokers. Okay. Yes. The big deal was to, to go in underage. I did that. Yeah. All I wanted to do was dance. I didn't care about drinking i just wanted to dance Mm -hmm. and i had these gay men friends and some of us made really good dance teams it was 
pretty great. Yeah. Compliments all the time. Um, when I think back, I couldn't, I couldn't do it today, but I was, I was dancing, disco dancing in three inch wooden clogs. No, no ankle strap, no anything. I, if yeah. I had fallen off those shoes, you I would have broken your ankle. I would have broken myself. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, I just want to learn a bit more. So disco dancing. I know about yes, through it was watching great. films. Were there <laughs> were there routines? Yeah. Or did you just sort of like freestyle? Would you just freestyle? Well, there like was, there's a certain there number was of steps also freestyle. That you would, okay. but there were certain songs. Like the that, electric slide, like that's a dance. I, I remember the hustle. The hustle, yeah. I, yes. Well, I don't remember. I can't do it now. I have but seen that. I, I've we seen were, that in there films. There was that. The bump. Yeah. The bump, right? Which would give me a heart attack today. But I was very good. Yeah. Um, and there was some there was some Latin music in there too. I mean, I'm, I, I get a little confused because because of the dancing. I I hung out in in gay clubs too. So disco ended. The era ended. Because mm-hmm. um, frankly, straight dance clubs are annoying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to get picked up yeah you just wanted and to dance the sheer number of creepy older guys that yeah tried to give me a ride home it was, oh. it was too much yes so yeah um gay bars dancing some of my one of my good friends was the dj at uh, a club here in saskatoon mm-hmm. um but one of the best experiences i remember was in toronto it was a uh a gay bar what was it called no, I'm not going to get it right, but it 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 had a, a real Latin theme, mm-hmm. and it was so great. Like here I am, you know, sweet young girl, and salsa music comes on, and I get it. I totally get it, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing the moves, and my friend says, "Hey, you're really doing the you know yeah," and it it had this low ceiling, and it was really hot and really sweaty, and it was sort of by the end of the night, like I don't even know if this is my perspiration yeah, or someone else's yeah, yeah. perspiration because it was. Toronto. Was everybody was smoking inside humid. then? Was that when everyone smoked? Probably. I don't remember it. I don't remember the smoking. Because when I worked at the Star Phoenix in the back shop, everyone, everyone was, was smoking. smoking. Oh my God, well Not working. me. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like you're working with hot wax, sticking stuff up on a page with a cigarette yeah. hanging out of your mouth and ash could be wiping ash off the, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you have healthy, healthy set of lungs. Again, uh, against all odds. So far, like. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, so that's amazing. So I'm I'm getting a whole a full picture of yourself. <laughs> yeah. So and, it seems like you know there's like Lorraine, dancing Lorraine, working for the newspapers, doing your degree. Then when you get into the library technician, the law school stuff, did that? Did the other parts of your life continue? Do you still go dancing and everything? Or it sounds like somehow working the law firm sounds like okay. I'm going to buckle down. Now, now I'm going to be a career lady. I did. I did straighten out a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some, there were some incidents. <laughs> incidents. Oh, there was there was a, uh, there was a uh, what do they call it? A secretary's day, and even though I wasn't a secretary, the partners took all the staff out for lunch mm-hmm. it's the middle of the week and some of the lawyers invited us to the bar for drinks right 
mm-hmm. and they were paying. So like a handful. I know, sorry, of, I know this is the nineties, but I'm picturing you suddenly like in early sixties Mad Men. Okay, continue. Oh my god, yes. You're totally. just like the it's partners totally. invited the you secretaries, know, I'm not, and I'm like, I'm oh not no, naming the firm here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of us hung around for the rest of the afternoon drinking with some partners. Yeah, and I got quite drunk quite drunk and I mean this the story there's two stories I had to meet my new boyfriend who I married since then mm-hmm. um but I showed up on his doorstep sans car because I couldn't drive yeah and he says you stink <laughs> so it just bodes well right um but we did go to a movie and um the second part of the story was uh, there was there was hell to pay back at work because we all got in trouble you did or the partners did or everyone did well they got in some trouble but not quite the same kind of so and got, i just had to do a, a small penance and stay over a lunch break and help somebody but, so, but why would something. you guys get in trouble like your bosses invited you i know that, that's right? on them i know was it like I you should know. have known better ladies well smarten up ladies it's, it's, it's hard to know, right, when yeah. HR leaps into action. Because yeah. I was also working at that law firm during um, September the 11th, 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. And nobody really knew what was happening, but we knew that as long as there was a partner in the room watching the TV with us, we were okay to, to watch the TV. shirk work and, yeah. right? Um, so that's a weird environment. Yeah. Very, um, I don't know what it's the word, like striations, like the levels. It's like, it's clear, like there's the partners and then there's everyone else yeah. and they're like way above. Yeah. So is this part of the reason why you left the law firm? Well, it had been five years. That, that was pretty long. Um, so again, you were but thinking. But again, I was surrounded by people that were. Uh, educated right i i knew i could i could do better Mm. so i left them in 2003 and went to to library school um to do the professional degree so right it was a bit of an evolution right so um yeah i i'd had a fair bit of library work and i'd always done worked in special libraries um, where I was the sole employee in the library. So the the whole library manager, I did everything, the cataloging, the yeah. whatever. The so buying, were the... you getting into library school thinking like, okay, I'm going to go and become, like because your work experience had been in this law firm, were you going to become a legal librarian or did you have your academic or public? Like, did you did you know when you started that program? I, I actually had this idea that it would be really hard to get into an academic library. So I went in... Um, assuming that I'd work at a public library and I made sure to take children's literature classes, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I just clarify, we've gone through this, how old were you when you were doing your library? Well, in 2003, I was... 40-something? 40 43. Yeah. Yeah. So this is... It's okay. Not, it's never over. Yeah. Well, no, it's <laughs> funny because we interview people on the show who are in their 30s where it's like, well, I guess this is my life now. Like, um, No. You are 32. I've talked to many people that, that did their library degree later. In yeah. Life. And it, 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 Saskatoon's a funny place because there's no library school here. Mm-hmm. So a person has to leave town. To do it. To do it. Yeah. Oh, and where did you go to do it? Toronto. Okay. But I was able to, um, well, my partner had a sabbatical year 
and we he wanted to do that at the University of Toronto. He had connections there, and uh, his parents live in Toronto. He oh, grew up in Toronto, nice. so we stayed with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he went home after 12 months, like you do after a sabbatical, and I stayed another four months, so I did it in 16 months. Okay, so just straight through. Fast-tracked it, yeah. Mm-hmm. No no thesis option. Yeah. Um, other people go to Edmonton, and um, there's obviously lots of library schools in Canada, but... Um, I've always recommended to people, you know, that time goes by really fast and you, the, what you gain from it um, is huge. You'll never look back. Like I had been making bad money at the law firm, um, finished the professional degree and my first job paid my two years worth of tuition. The yeah. increase in my salary paid yeah. my tuition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was excellent. And you worked for the library for 10-ish years? No, less than that. Well, actually, I started at another special library after library school. Oh, okay. Yeah. So your professional librarian career is what you have retired from. And again, I want to emphasize early retirement. (laughs) That's right. It's not over. Yeah. So it's... I love talking to you about this because... I think to someone of my generation, it's kind of like, I want to work towards my retirement and then I'll just like sit around and watch TV all day. It'll be amazing. <laughs> did you, did you imagine and that is not what you're doing? And I'm sure that's not what I will do either. Frankly, I just need a vacation. But so in your, you've kept very active in your retirement and it seems like you're getting back to this whole, like looking for things to learn, looking for things to do. Mm-hmm. I took a summer class this summer mm-hmm. in art history and it, I loved it. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. I got 94%. Nice. You know what I love? I love when I was in school. My mother is doing some school classes now as well. And I always love the mature students because they always took it so much more serious than everyone else. Like they were there to learn. When I was in my undergrad, maybe you were the same. I was just like, I was there to learn slash because I didn't know what I was doing slash. I was only really there so I could like be in the drama committee. But the mature students were there, like they've lived a life and they're there to learn and they take it seriously. And I always ad- admire that. And they also have other things going on in yeah. their lives. But what was noticeable to me is, and it's always been noticeable to me, is the professors at the front of the room wanting some input, asks a question, mm-hmm. and then looks out at the room expectantly and nothing. Yeah. And so there's, there's the mature student will pipe up because everybody knows the answer yeah everyone else I don't I, I don't want to say they're all just shy they don't want to look stupid yeah in front of everyone else so I did it mm-hmm. and sometimes I felt like I looked <laughs> stupid but yeah but that's what you get being the mature student you don't care quite as much about and maybe that's part of it stupid. too yeah you're not so worried about the perfectionism or trying to impress the other kids because you want to like sleep with them <laughs> yes. Because you're all 18. I, yes, I suppose that, that's part of it. Yeah. And you want to look smart and cool all at the same time. Yeah. We just have a few minutes left, and I just wanted to ask you a question that we, we like to ask at the end of our interviews, which is if you cast your mind back even earlier, like little five-year-old Lorraine, four or five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Can I say when I was 10? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a pop singer. Oh, nice. Yes, I wanted to be... Wait, so when you were 10, what year-ish was that? <laughs> I, I just wanted to know, like... 1970. Okay, so like pop singers at that point were so like I just who? I had discovered the radio. Okay. AM radio. Yeah. And I was listening to the radio. 
Um, and then my parents' record albums. Um, I discovered Barbara Streisand. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so you wanted to be a dramatic Barbara Streisand type pop singer. Well, I guess at the time, yeah, I kind of did. Yeah. yeah. So I listened to everything Barbara did and yeah. sang along with the records. And yeah. yeah. Did you pursue singing as a hobby throughout your life, or as a? Did you ever consider that taking a music degree or? <laughs> I think I did, I just considered it. Um, it wasn't until my 30s that I actually started taking singing lessons. But by then I'd already, you know, sung a lot. I'd sung in choirs. I'd sung a lot uh, along with things. I'd learned things in that obsessive yeah. way that children have. You know? Yeah. Um, so you just started taking it more seriously, like taking yeah, lessons. Yeah, so I actually took voice lessons and, and in the classical stream. What I really wanted to do was more jazz, but turns out that's harder. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Um, and the classical um, training is where I discovered that Barbara doesn't have it all. That she doesn't have it all as, yeah, a, like, as like, a singer? She's good. Yeah. But she was never classically trained. She just learned it all. Through. Yeah. So, so there's a, like, you sing a classical tune and then you sing a jazz tune. There's two different voices that come out. Right, yeah. And I think it's hard to do both. I think so, and she does very well with the Broadway stuff, the pop stuff. I could see, like... Big, big voice. Huge. Yeah, Barbara Streisand seeking, I don't know, Schubert would probably not do well, I think, her I think she might have actually done favors. a bit oh, of classical. I don't know. some of her Christmas stuff. Oh, that's right, yeah. They always end up doing some sort of hymn or something. True. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Lorraine. Well, thank you for picking my brain. I feel... I've been thoroughly psychoanalyzed. I guess the sorry, the final question would be, so the, the podcast is called You Are Going to Be Fantastic. Do you feel like you are fantastic? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. It may be less evident to other people, but... Uh, well, they're not seeing you. And I'm um, still a work in progress. Lorraine's hair is purple. Um, she's wearing fabulous red glasses. She's wearing a pattern top that says on it, fashion, modern, glamorous, party style oh i see no it's a graphic <laughs> lots it's of just, graphics it's a graphic sort of it's a very graphic images collage collage top it's and my, like my desigual scarf lorraine looks amazing <laughs> she looks fantastic well, thank, you. Say. thank but, you i don't know but it's it's i think it's really great for people everyone just to hear like I, you know you have a career and then that career ends and something else happens and then life keeps going it's not just like i'm retired now the end You've got oh, yeah, no, so much no. more. Yeah, and you're clearly really excited about pursuing other things. Yeah. Yeah. Still, I'm still not even sure what's next. Yeah. Truly. I'm working on it. It's because it's not over. Exactly. Over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a friend who's 93 years old, so I've got some time to fill, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you have, exactly, another 40, 50 years left in you. <laughs> of course there's a lot of yoga going on because i'm everything's stiff and hurts sure i guess that's the thing you're not dancing in three inch clogs i'm doing the yoga so i can get back to my dancing nice yeah yeah well thank you so much thank you So thank you for joining us for another episode of You Are Going to Be Fantastic. My name is Ann Foster. Jenny Ryan will be back next time. Um, you can keep up with us and what we're doing. So we're all over the internet. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 
YWGTBF, the first letters of you are going to be fantastic. Um, and we are also, if you, if you have a story you'd like to share, um, maybe we could arrange an interview. You could email us. We could read it out loud. Um, you can email us at you are going to be fantastic at gmail.com. Um, so stay fantastic out there, everybody. And we'll talk to you very soon. Oh,